Hello, and welcome to Skynet Today's Last Week in AI podcast, where you can hear AI researchers chat about what's going on with AI. As usual, in this episode, we'll provide summaries and discussion of last week's most interesting AI news. You can also check out our Last Week in AI newsletter at lastweekin.ai for articles we didn't cover in this episode. And before we start, if you have any feedback or thoughts about our podcast, feel free to email us at contact at lastweekin.ai. We would love to hear from you. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Sharon Joe, And I'm your other host, Andre Kurenkov. And in this episode, we'll be chatting about two companies that had failed AI products, IBM Watson and Zillow. Talk about some research on code generating from DeepMind and a new GPT Neo from Elifer AI. We'll talk about an AI insurance company that collected facial recognition data and now faces a lawsuit and how there's a law in the works to uh, prevent that sort of stuff. Lastly, we'll wind up with some fun uh, applications to generate things with AI. And so first off in our applications and business section is an article titled Machine Learning the Hard Way. IBM Watson's fatal misdiagnosis. So IBM's flagship AI Watson Health, based on, you know, IBM Watson uh, doing the health stuff, has actually been sold to venture capitalists for um, amount around a billion dollars, which sounds like a lot, but that's actually only uh, a quarter of um, what the whole division has cost IBM in acquisitions and such um, since 2015. And so this was pretty expensive uh, mess up by IBM's part. Uh, it held, you know, a lot of promise. There was a lot of marketing uh, that went into this um, Watson Health uh, AI. Uh, and unfortunately, um, it's kind of been, you know, closed, closed, shut down now. Um, but uh, just to uh, give some background. So it's been going on for quite some time. Um uh, the article goes through the whole timeline of Watson Health, how it started, um, how it, you know, had all these partnerships that it announced, 50 partnerships with uh, healthcare organizations, including uh, Mayo Clinic, which is one of the largest organizations for cancer, um, lots of hospitals. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, none of them actually produced usable tools or apps um, and then it tried to, uh, IBM tried to buy a lot of companies um, that had successful AI products. Uh, but uh, sadly, the article notes that uh, even with all these acquisitions, these companies still died. These healthcare startups that were successful pre-acquisition ultimately died because the system was so led by marketing as opposed to actual work uh, and inputs. Uh, so uh, sadly, a lot of um, a lot of the people who were acquired into it did leave and and now it has has died. Uh, thoughts on this, Andre? Yeah, this is a pretty important story to know, I guess, for people who follow AI. I think the failure of Watson is a sort of great example of how AI can't magically solve problems and be useful everywhere. It takes smart use of AI 
to actually tackle some of these problems, especially in medicine. There is uh, another article from the New York Times, whatever happened to IBM's Watson, that also goes into this. And yeah, my impression has always been that IBM sort of tried to couple together a bunch of technologies and call it Watson, similarly for this uh, Watson Health. And yeah, it was just not... The, the company itself is very bureaucratic, you know, very old school and wasn't able to actually successfully create this new product. And yeah, I, I found it pretty sad that they bought up all these companies that ultimately died as a result. That's always really sad to see, uh, because I think the people who started those companies really cared and were hoping that once acquired, it would probably become something even bigger, you know, get greater distribution. So, um, yeah, I mean, on the positive side, the, the space itself is very much alive. A lot of startups are working on AI for medicine and health. So I think there are success stories already and we'll keep seeing them, but this is a good lesson in sort of being wary of marketing, especially from these giant companies like IBM. And on a related note of companies with failed AI products, we have our next article, How Homeowners Defeated Zillow's AI, which led to Zillow Offer's demise. So this is all about how uh, Zillow had this product, Zillow Offers, where they were basically doing home buying. They were trying to buy homes from uh, homeowners and then sell it themselves, right? And the approach was to try and predict what the housing, what houses will cost in the future, three to six months out after buying them and therefore make a profit. And it was basically a catastrophic failure they lost a bunch of money and then they had to close it all down and they actually uh, had to uh, fire 25% of their staff. So it was a really big deal. And this article kind of analyzes why that happened. And the short version is that the predictions were not very accurate. They often overestimated the cost because the inputs to the model were incomplete, right? So you have a metadata like number of bedrooms, location, but it didn't actually see the house and the homeowners could make a better prediction and reject low offers and only accept high offers. So that's one. And also, um, you know, housing prices just stopped rising when they tried to scale this up. So they tried it for a few years and had positive results because of the environment, but then in a different uh, climate, was totally failed. So pretty interesting analysis, I would say. I, I found it cool to know why this was a result. I think uh, we've heard a lot, at least, you know, in the Twitterverse, uh, there was a lot of talk at some point when Zillow was buying, when, when it was revealed that Zillow was buying all these homes in, in upping all the prices and people getting kind of upset that Zillow was doing that uh, and that Zillow kind of deserved this. I think this is a case of an algorithm going, you know, a bit haywire where they probably wanted something in between where it, it didn't actually cause all 
it didn't create a housing bubble uh, or a fake housing bubble in this case, and uh, actually was able to make good judgments. But obviously that that didn't happen. And it, it was a bit late for them to shut it down. It seemed to already cause some damage. Yeah, yeah. It's it's quite interesting, this analysis, basically, because it seemed like it worked for a few years. They actually did trial it for a while, but that was working primarily because housing, uh, the market was in itself kind of hot. So even when it was inaccurate, they still made a profit. But then, um, yeah, then in 2020, when they tried to scale this up, the this was no longer true so they when they overestimated housing costs that led to very obvious uh, losses so again i think a, a good case study in the pitfalls of using ai without sort of being able to integrate it into a product in a smart way right and onto our research and advancement section. The first article is titled DeepMind claims its new code generating system is competitive with human programmers. Uh, and so DeepMind, very similar to OpenAI, has created uh, a Codex competitor, which is OpenAI's uh, system that is trained on GPT-3 to output code and generate code. And it is called, very surprisingly, AlphaCode. Just kidding. It's not surprising. They name it all of their systems <laughs> Alpha something, like Alpha Zero, you know, AlphaGo. Uh, and AlphaCode uh, basically has been able to show that it can write competition level code, quote unquote, and achieve an average ranking within the top 54% across uh, 10 recent contests with more than about 5,000 participants in it. And so this is impressive in the sense that now, you know, beyond, beyond Codex, it can generate competitive code, a good code, code that maybe is, you know, is now of higher you know, a much higher bar than I think when Codex came out, it was, oh, we can generate reasonable code, but it still seems average. And here it's like we can generate competitive code. The actual architecture and stuff involved is not super interesting. It is just basically a larger version of 4X the size of Codex at 41.4 uh, billion parameters. And it is trained on a data set that is roughly the same size as Codex is at around 700 gigabytes of data. And so, you know, it was again, trained on um, public repos on GitHub in different programming languages. And uh, I think all in all, it is interesting that um, all these companies are going in this direction. It's not super surprising since it is a very lucrative market. And um, even, even, you know, turning code from one language to another is very lucrative, let alone writing very good code is very, very lucrative and also is a sweet spot for these tech companies that have a lot of software engineers and can see where this, this would go. Uh, and again, Facebook and Intel also have um, models in, in this space as well. Yeah, I think we were chatting and this seemed a bit underwhelming in the sense that there's it's basically the same idea as Codex, train, it on, train a language generating model on a bunch of code and it kind of works. If anything, this seemed uh, less exciting than Codex because they, this, 
task of writing competition level code of solving programming problems is much less useful than what Codex does. Codex is sort of meant to be used by programmers as an auto completion tool to speed up your productivity. And it can uh, do a lot of writing of boilerplate, really simple stuff that you know, isn't hard. AlphaCode does something harder, which is to generate entire algorithms given the description of it. Uh, so from an AI perspective, this is harder because it needs to be syntactically correct. It needs to take into account sort of reasoning and on all these different things, but it's much less useful. You know, it's neat that you can do this competition level programming, but in the real world, that's not something that programmers really need help with. And although it sounds like it's pretty impressive, I really wonder at how this is, you know, performing. It's in the top 54.3% in 10 recent contests, but, you know, what, how well do, does the average uh, competitor, human competitor do? You know, it's, it's kind of hard to tell from what they've released. Right. It's really hard to tell, but I think they did try to, you know, pick competitions that were, you know, had a lot of participation and they did. Um, yeah, they did do it live. So I think it's a step in the right direction. Obviously, the results or the insight is that bigger is better again, maybe. <laughs> so it's not horribly interesting, but it is it is the trend. That's true. And yeah, we've chatted also about DeepMind having all these applied efforts, like we have done weather forecasting and uh, of course, protein prediction. So in that sense, it's neat to see them doing more of these high engineering effort things that apply AI to kind of solving useful problems. And on to our next story, also related to big models. We are going to talk about Elifer AI announcing GPT Neo X. So, Elifer AI is kind of a neat group. I think we've chatted about them once or twice in the past. They are a grassroots collective that d does. Um, open source AI research. So it's, it's interesting. They started off as this like band of hackers that got on a discord and wanted to replicate GPT three back in 2020. And they've been on this quest to, to replicate GPT three, which is hard because it's gigantic. Uh, it's 175 billion, which for most AI developers is out of reach. It's really only something that giant corporations can do. But now they've announced their latest uh, result, GPT Neo X, which is a 20 billion parameter model, basically similar to GPT three. So in the past, <clears throat> they've had GPT J, GPT Neo, which were free and 6 billion. And so this is the biggest one yet. And not, I guess, too surprising or, yeah, there's nothing sort of research interesting here, but 
they do know this is the largest publicly accessible pre-trained um, language model. And I think a lot of people will build on this as they have on GPT-J and GPT-Neo. So it's exciting to see them continuing to make progress, in particular because they are open source. I think this is a great thing that they keep building uh, larger and larger models. But of course, they're always going to be a little bit behind. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to try this new one out. I've been uh, playing with GPT-Neo and GPT-J quite a bit. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's truly open source. They're releasing it under the pretty permissive Apache 2.0 license. So definitely something that a lot of people will benefit from. And on to our next section on society and ethics. Our first uh, article is titled AI insurance company faces class action for use of biometric data. So Lemonade, which is an AI insurance company uh, based in uh, New York, uh, actually is facing a class action lawsuit for violating some laws around using biometric data without consent. Uh, and this is specifically using facial recognition uh, facial recognition to analyze videos that people were submitting in the claims process uh, for insurance. And I actually think uh, Lemonade really created their own demise here on Twitter, which is pretty classic, uh, a classic use of Twitter, I believe. So they now uh, they, they tweeted uh, around, you know, something touting all the data points they use on their customers, how it's a hundred X more data than traditional insurance and how they're using this really great, quote, charming artificial intelligence bot that picks up on, quote, nonverbal cues that traditional insurers cannot and that this ultimately helps them lower their loss ratios and overall operating costs. And this was all tweeted and now deleted. But I think people got really sus uh, that there was something going on with those nonverbal cues that people were analyzing in their videos, uh, that Lemonade was analyzing their videos. And so a, you know, a class action uh, was was actually uh, filed against them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and part of this class action was talking about this non-consensual collection analysis of data, which actually apparently went against their privacy policy and also uh, it goes against New York's Uniform Deceptive Trade Practices Act. So there's some very reasonable legal you know, backing to this lawsuit. And certainly I think this is, you know, pretty clearly a bad practice on the part of this company, you know, even if it was justifiable to do this facial analysis, they should have disclosed it and, you know, should have kind of made a clear case for it. Uh, instead, they <laughs> tweeted this thing that elicited all this uh, criticism. So it's, yeah, it's kind of a funny story, but I guess it's good that, you know, ultimately people were concerned and were able to do something. And uh, on a related note to that, actually, we have our next story, democratic lawmakers take another stab at AI 
biased legislation. So Democrats in Congress, uh, Senator Ron Wyden and Cory Booker, uh, along with uh, House Representative Yvette Clark, introduced an updated version of the Algorithmic Accountability Act, which I think we chatted about a couple years back, that uh, would require audits of AI systems used in things like finance, healthcare, housing, education, and more. So yeah, it's it's interesting. It basically says that companies that make use of AI tools in critical decision-making to evaluate outcomes for things like finance, based, like giving loans or you know, predicting medical uh, treatments, they would have to perform an audit and report their fundings to the FTC. And the FTC would force the companies to make uh, these high-profile AI decisions public or how they, how they do decision-making public. So yeah, it's uh, pretty related to this Lemonade story in, in the sense that uh, if this were to pass, Lemonade would have to actually submit this to um, the FTC and would then be scrutinized. What do you think about this uh, act, Sharon? I think uh, it makes sense that lawmakers are thinking about this and this feels like regulation in the direction of where all the buzz has been. So it makes sense to now require audits. I, I'd be curious what they really mean by audits and what is considered a valid audit. There are a lot of tools out there, startups out there that are claiming that they do these audits. Um, I, I don't know to what extent they follow, they would follow this act. They probably will try very hard to. And so I, I'm curious to see where, where that goes and whether this becomes more of a compliance thing or whether this is actually quite critical in the path towards, uh, towards safe, safe AI. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Just looking at the, uh, Introduction, the summary here, it's saying that assessments of high-risk automated decision system must describe the system in detail, assess the relative costs and benefits of it, determine the risks to privacy and security, uh, to personal information, and explain, explain the steps taken to minimize those risks if discovered. And of course, in the act, there's presumably much more. So... It seems like on a high level view, this is the right thing to do. This is just another aspect of consumer protection to be taken. Uh, obviously, there may be kind of details that you're not aware of, but hopefully this one has some chance. It, it didn't succeed in the past, but maybe with this revision, it could see uh, being passed. Potentially. And so on a much lighter note in our fun and neat section is an article titled AI generated Valentine's cards. And this is from AI weirdness. And of course, okay, so Valentine's Day is coming up. And the thought from this AI weirdness blog is what if the messages that you got on your Valentine's cards could be not generic, but instead weirdly unsettling <laughs> that is what if the cards were generated by a glitchy ai so this is a really interesting kind of approach you know 
they used, you know, kind of a, a GBT model to output the message as well as what the card, uh, the drawing, the illustration should be on the card. And just, just for some fun examples, uh, the, one of my favorite ones is with all my sparkle pants. And it is a picture of a unicorn, I believe. And uh, another one is happy Valentine. That's what my friends call it. And there's a picture of a chicken. <laughs> and it's just very strange, very, very strange. Uh, uh, there's one Valentine, how cuddly. And I believe it's a picture of a donut wearing a crown. So it's just, it's just, you know, like really weird things. And it was trained on some real cards that were given to GBD3, including and, and the real cards, honestly, they're kind of weird as <laughs> they're chosen to be weird ones as well. And they're ones of, I think, punny animal things. So, for example, Valentine fun, no prob llama for someone like you. And there's an image of a llama. So that was a real Real one. Another real one was Valentine. You're clawfully nice. Image of a lobster. You know, like th these are real ones that were used to train it. So hence why you know strange things kind of came out uh, came out of the model. And I think what was really funny was uh, the blogger. You know, tried all the different sizes of GBD three models from Da Vinci to uh, Ada and also Babbage in between and ultimately concluded that there wasn't a huge difference in performance because all of them seemed really weird. Yeah, yeah, this is quite uh, amusing. AI weirdness is this blog that does this on a weekly basis, does weird experiments, and is always a lot of fun. Um, some of my favorites were uh, hug, hugs for your Valentine from the inside. And there's some <laughs> images of lips. <laughs> Uh, there is happy day of the year and has like a kitten face. Um, yeah, these are all pretty good. And as per the web, the title of this website, it is pretty weird and amusing. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, I always am a fan of AI for humor for the sort of surreal, weird stuff. And this is a pretty good example of that. And on to our next fun um, application of AI, a little bit similar, but now for text. Uh, this article about it is titled, Tell This AI Your Stories Themes, and it'll write the first paragraph for you. So yeah, this is about this thing called Narrative Device. It was created by Rodolfo Ocampo, who is a PhD student on human AI creative collaboration. And it's this little website where you can enter two words like a space marine and demons, and then it generates a paragraph to sort of kickstart the story. So. Given a space marine and demons, it says the space marine looked around the dimly lit room, his eyes scanning the grotesque creatures that littered the floor. They were demons and he had been sent to deal with them. He had been trained for this and he was ready and so on. Another one that I found quite amusing, there was uh, a sad dad and revenge playing off of a famous video game and 
Gavin Velstowitz said the sad dad was sitting in his room thinking about how revenge would be the best way to make his daughter happy. So oh yeah, <laughs> not very really useful, but it's it's pretty fun to mess around with a little bit and it just as a quick hack, I think is, is certainly kind of fun. That kind of summarized a lot of GPT use cases. Not very useful, but kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, and that's also nice, you know. That is have, also nice. I mean, yeah. AI Dungeon has gotten pretty far with just that mantra. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's fun to just see some experiments, right? This particular idea of two words and it generates a paragraph for you. Um, not so, I mean, not so useful, but I could see if it like wrote a story outline for you, given a few themes and characters, that would be very useful. So close to something I would want to use, let's say. What else is missing? What's missing for you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this this whole like paragraph, like I don't know that the intro paragraph is something you need. I think you would need sort of a story summary or outline. That's much more useful. Right. All right. Well, I think that's a wrap. So before we go, please let us know again your thoughts you have any thoughts, any thoughts, any thoughts, directly to our email at contact at lastweekin.ai. And thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. And as always, we'll finish with a little uh, request to review the podcast and share it with your friends and so on. Actually, check today and we now have 12 reviews on Apple Podcasts. Great, greatly appreciated, and folks. That, greatly that appreciated. Was, I mean, I just feel like so touched. I feel like it's one of those Valentine's cards, really just, it's like one of those yeah. that touched me. That was exciting. It was super macro <laughs> text-tacularly big thanks for you. Exactly. <laughs> That's actually one of them. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes, yes. So, yeah, thank you for those who have reviewed it. And uh, we'd appreciate it if you are a fan of a podcast, if you could stop by. I think we link to Apple Podcasts in the description or you can Google it. Just give us a quick five stars, even a four stars would do. But, uh, you know, you don't have to, but it would be cool if you do. And with that, we are done. Be sure to tune in to us next week. Woo!